We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast coming at you on a Wednesday, a game day uh, for the New York Knicks. Game two, of course, is tonight. Uh, Knicks Hawks, 730 at Madison Square Garden um, to fully prepare you and immerse you in all of the Knicks Hawks um, thoughts and analysis. Mike Vorkanoff of The Athletic joined us today. We had a great conversation, finished it a little while ago. He was excellent, as always. Um, so you're going to enjoy that. We also have some news. Um, we'll get through the, the lesser news first. Uh, Nolan's Noel, questionable for game two. Um, there were some coin flips that happened at the NBA offices to determine some draft picks. Nick got very lucky. Um, they got the 19th and 21st picks in the draft. Uh, 19th, their pick. 21st, the Dallas pick. There were six different scenarios. That scenario was the best of the six. So very good day for the Knicks where the draft is concerned. But of course, I am bearing the lead here. Um, so full disclosure, I recorded this intro a little while ago. And then news just came down a few minutes ago that Julius Randle has won the NBA's Most Improved Player Award um, a, I mean, really, I, I, we've talked about him all year. Um, we could, I know we didn't have a great game one. He has been as instrumental in turning around this franchise as anybody, Leon Rose, uh, Tom Thibodeau, anybody, a testament to him, um, his work ethic, his commitment to this team, this program, to Tibbs, the whole thing. Um, 
Andrew, I see you in the in the in the shadows, the producer's shadows. Do you have anything to add to to this conversation right now? Oh my. Oh my. Oh boy. What a fascinating song choice for this occasion. Um, wow. That's all I got. Congrats, Julius. Uh, if, if you've been listening to the pod, uh, you know what that means. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speak to it anymore. I do. <laughs> hold on. Before before I go, I just can I just really quickly because I feel like uh, the NBA's most improved player award has this reputation of like I don't know, almost like a lesser award or something. I'm just gonna read off the names of like um, the people who have won it over the last ten years in reverse <laughs> order: um, Brandon Ingram, Pascal Siakam, Victor Oladipo, Giannis Antetokounmpo. CJ McCollum, that's my daughter. She's very excited. Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic. Oh, come on. Um, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Paul George, uh, Ryan Anderson's the one that's not so great. And Kevin Love. Um, really not a bad group. Um, and he now joins this esteemed list um, because he's really good. And he's going to make an all-NBA team and he's going to get MVP votes. And uh, just kudos to you, Julius Randle. And kudos to you, Andrew Claudio. And kudos to everybody out there. Um, <laughs> I can't. Let's get to my conversation with Mike Borkano. Joining us now on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, making his triumphant return after getting through the um, initial gauntlet of having a new child in the house. We also wish him... Our heartfelt congratulations here from from KFS. Is it? Uh, are you past six weeks? Is it still the first six weeks? It's like four weeks. Today right? is two months. Today is, is two, two months, months actually. Holy shit! Time. So, that means yeah. Is mine three months then? I can't answer for that. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> that's um, that's between you and your wife and God. That is between all of us. Uh, Mike Vorkanoff, um of the Athletic, of course. Um, now really is getting close to kind of John Goodman, Tom Hanks territory on on KFS podcast here. I think this is it's got to be five or six, maybe more I appearances. It's too I, don't I just come on whenever you're desperate. I never say no. I, you know, I, we I got no one else. Everyone I, good said no to me. I think this time you're like. Ah, I've run out of guests. I did the five good ones last week. Mike, you want to come on? Um, yeah, you know, you, you've really sunk. Uh, I mean, when, when you know, the quality of your writing has just gone down so much. If I'm being honest. I agree. I, here, here's what I read as I was reading your, um, the the sh- kind of, was it a shattered postmortem, the one that came out today? What would you call that piece that came out today? Yeah, I guess uh, maybe like an optimistic view of what okay. uh, what the future is. It, it wasn't that one. It was your uh, day after analysis of game one of Hawks Knicks. And I'm reading it. I'm like, wow, it's it's great when I'm reading something. And it makes me realize not only am I not as good a writer as this person, but I'm not as good a basketball analyst as this person. So uh, thank you. I don't know thank about you, that one. No, no, no. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate the, the pick me up. Um, uh, 
Yeah, I read I read the newsletter every morning. I see how much work you put into it and how good it is. I can't I cannot and do not try to do that. Well, you're very kind. Um, I'm going to open. We're, we're going to get to some of the specifics that you talked about um, in your writing over the last few days. But as myself and Andrew were just bantering before you came on, I want to open with this. Um, who do you think is the better team in this series between the Knicks and the Hawks? Because I don't know the answer to that question. Um, you know, my whole analysis coming into this game, and I, it hasn't changed after game one game, is that I thought the Knicks had the better coach and the better player. Uh, the best player, I mean, um, and the Hawks were better from there on out. And game one kind of inverted all of that, right? Like Julius <laughs> Randle had, you know, maybe his worst game of the year. Yeah. Um, and uh, Trey Young was great, obviously. And then, you know, Alec Burks comes up huge. Derek Rose, like Taj Gibson. Taj Gibson, I was like, I just some of the stuff he was doing in the fourth quarter there was crazy. Um, just like someone watching basketball and remembering Taj Gibson is like 35 and doing this. It's crazy. Um, but now, you know, I, I think probably the Hawks are the better team. Um, especially if, uh, if Julius Randle is not going to be able to be peak Julius Randle. I don't think Alex Burks is going to go for nine of 13, 27 points every game. Like that would be nice. <laughs> I, I, I give the advantage to the Hawks. Um, a lot of this is, you know, weighing on how they play Julius Randle and my whole thing with the Knicks and I was, um, crossover name drop, uh, your friend, Chris. P, uh, we were doing the clubhouse last week or whatever, and I said, look, the doomsday scenario for the Knicks is if Julius Randle starts missing all those really tough shots, all those shots and jumpers that he made all season long. That's got a high degree of difficulty that he hit consistently throughout the year, but still are really fucking hard shots. And, um, you know, sometimes that just stops. And over a short period of time, like you just go cold, right? Like that just happens over the course of any season. Sometimes that cold spell aligns with the playoffs. Um, so I'm not saying game one was like the start of that, but this stuff happens over the course of a year, especially when you're being specifically schemed against. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the Hawks are probably the better team, the more well-rounded team and really like game two and going forward is a lot of it's going to be on Tibbs. It's going to be on, uh, he's got to make some adjustments that I think, um, the Hawks took advantage of in game one. Um, you just hit on literally everything that, uh, I want to talk to you about in, the outline for today. So I'll just pick one because it's the last thing you brought up. Uh, Tibbs. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote you. Uh, you wrote uh, yesterday, I believe it was that the Knicks have struggled all season long on out of bounds plays. They ranked last, last. There's nobody, there's no place below last among teams in points per possession on baseline out of bounds plays. I did not realize that before reading it from you. Um, and then 27 on uh, slob plays. I, I prefer that. Acronym. <laughs> um, so I, I, a lot. Some people, I think, paid more attention to the last point nine seconds than, than others. To me, I just can't get past the giving up um, 22 points in five minutes at home um, when you're the fourth ranked defense. But just on Tibbs, um, do you think he got severely outcoached in this game or do you think it was just like there were a few adjustments to be made and he didn't do the best job making them? I don't think he got severely outcoached. I think game one is also kind of like a feeling out game, right? Like yes. you're trying to see how your personnel fits against each other. Like the first three games between these teams, we're not really an indicator of how each no. team looks. Like the Hawks starting lineup played one minute together against the Knicks all season, right? Like yeah. it just wasn't there. I actually know minutes. Never mind. Um, well, you, so, you said it 15 all year, right? Yeah, like 15 all, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And um, 
So they were trying to feel each other out. The thing that I really, the only thing that I questioned about Tom Thibodeau in the first game was why he didn't try to make any adjustments um, in the pick and roll coverage. And I think he tried to do it late on that final play where Trey just like burned down the house to hit the game winner. And that was just, that was just wizardry. I see that as more wizardry than bad defense, Yeah. but it looked like they were just playing drop coverage all game. And um, Trey took, uh, I, I forget, I had it in my game one rewind, yeah. but he hit, you know, like he had like 12 mid range jumpers or something like that. Like they just gave that to him and they said, okay, we'll, we'll give that up instead of the lob to Capella. Um, and that's a tough spot, right? Like pick your poison, but uh, he kept hurting them there. And um, that's what I'm really curious to see going forward is, is how he um, improves there and whether they can find some space for Julius Randle to work with offensively. Um, you know, those are the two tips things. So I, aside from the obvious, which I'm sure we'll get to at some we'll, point, and we'll you're burning it. inside your heart with, uh, with rage. No, it's, I don't even know how to talk about it anymore. It's like when you've been through like, I don't know, how does marriage counseling work? <laughs> Do you, you, I'm assuming you go through like different trials of marriage counseling and you try to make it work at home. And then you go back. I've, I've never been to marriage counseling, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but like, whatever I'm at the end, I'm at the point, like, just get hire a lawyer. Let's, you know, let's get this done. Um, we'll talk about him in a second. Um, on your the lawyer, roll, we'll talk about your lawyer. We'll talk. Yes. Thank you. Um, by, by the way, I just looked up in my own story. The Knicks gave up 12 shots, uh, to Trey young from 14 feet and in. So like free throw line and in that and was it. Did he make eight or nine? He made set. He made seven. Oh, okay. So, uh, and he was one of six from long mid range. So, so they were giving up that shot. Content. And the, and there were a couple, I'm curious how the stat people did that because there were a couple where it felt like the floater released his hand from like on the free throw line is, does that go down as long mid range? Does that go down as short, whatever. But it's interesting because you just bring up those numbers and seven for 12 plus one for six. Okay. So that's um, quick math. Uh, eight for 18, right? Yeah. Um, which between, I think between the short and the long mid range, you sign for that every time with Trey Young, right? If there was no such thing as putting him on the line, right. unfortunately there is, and it reared its ugly <laughs> head in game in game one, and, and especially when you factor in that the whole the here's the th- the thing of it for me, and again I don't have an answer for this, and you're smarter than me, so that's why I'm going to ask you. If there's two parts of the the math equation, there's the avoiding him or, or preventing him from taking threes, which they mostly did because he only took three and hit one. And then there's the Capella part of it. So it's like you're giving up by, by defending him in this way, you're giving up one of three possible options. And then there's like that side caveat of, Oh, but wait a minute. If he misses a floater, there's also Capella there for the offensive rebound. Although the way they play the drop coverage, you'd think that they could prevent that too, but not really because we saw Capella get four as a rebounds in this game. So I just, with their personnel, we, I don't know what the answer is. And t- listen, it, I'm not the coach of the Knicks, so it's not my job. But like, do you have something that you would, other than, I guess, try Frank more? Or what What do, what do you think? I don't think it's like one guy. Like, I, I think even if you put Frank Nielkina at the point of attack, like he's not going to be able to shut it well, down. As right? saw. I think I saw the few play when I went back and I looked at, you know, at a bunch of the plays. And the thing that worked was like, um, you know, they sometimes would come with a late double or help yes. from one of the wing defenders. Yeah. Um, obviously that, that's tricky too, because Trey Young is also a good, really good passer. So if he, you know, kicks out to the wing or to the corner, if that's where you're helping, um, you have to, you know, as, as Tom Thibodeau loves to say, you got to get to the paint and you got to hustle your ass back basically. Um, multiple so efforts. yeah, multiple efforts. So that's really hard to do too. Right. But that might be something they try if they don't want to meet, um, if they don't want to meet Trey Young at the point of attack on the pick and roll, 
Uh, that's also dangerous because then you're asking for weak side rotations underneath. And there was a few plays where like Manuel quick, uh, quickly got caught as the guy rotating to hit Clint Capella diving to the rim. And that went exactly as you thought it would go. But Manuel quickly had to stop Clint Capella from dunking. Um, right. So those are the very hard choices that a coach has. So we'll see if they either just switch coverages altogether and can consistently go with that throughout game two. If they just um, have a plan to switch throughout the game to try to confuse them. Um, you know, that I think on that game winner, they actually tried to, I don't know if they tried to like hit him at the point of attack or just blitz him all together on the pick and roll, but they tried something different, right? Like that's why that play was so amazing was that he got out of the double team, like yeah. from 30 feet out. Um, so I don't know. I'm not a coach. I'm obviously not good at this either, but those are like just logically thinking like you have to try something different because letting him get to 12 feet. And then deciding, do I do, go, do I go with the floater here? Do I just see if like Capel is open for the lob? If the big plays up a little bit, is a bad place to be in. Well, that's actually a good transition to. Um, well, well, we might as well talk about it now before we get to Randall. The starting lineup. Um, uh, going to so we're releasing this on uh, let's say Tuesday. So we're releasing this on Wednesday. So when we release it, we won't know yet. Um, Gun to your head right now. Uh, you think he makes the switch? <laughs> I think not yet. I think not yet. I think he tries this very delicate balancing act um, that he does that it has not been working. Um, you you know, called him really, out on it, and you're you're not wrong. I mean, it's just you know, it ha- it wasn't working in the regular season. They kept winning. It just wasn't working though. Like I think the fact that they won was not an indication of you know success, proof of concept there. Um, I my guess he's doing is because like he can't play Derrick Rose forty minutes a night, and so you have to almost have Alfred Payton be an innings eater type of guy. But if that's what you're doing, I'd rather get more Rose Randall minutes together um, and have Peyton eat those minutes up, you know, later on against the reserves. If you can do your rotations that way, than having Derek Rose play 20 straight minutes in the first half, which was I, I, I just. So why? What do you? I, I OK, I get what you lose by putting Alec Burks in the starting five, because then Alec Burks isn't there for to help support your bench. But I. I I just if you're gonna play Rose 35 to 38 minutes anyway, and we've we know Burks has shown the ability to play 30 minutes. We know quickly has shown the ability to play 30 minutes. Like that's that's a lot of and to say nothing of RJ Barrett, who can handle a play, you know, at the point of attack or uh, uh, you know leading the offense for a possession or two. Like it's not like they don't have other options. They have guys who can initiate offense. I just. I almost think with him, it's like a safety first thing where it's like, this makes him feel most comfortable where he gets to have everything else as he likes it. And again, who the hell am I? He's man, probably he's going to win coach of the year, but it's, it's like at, at some point, don't you, don't you have to jump off the ledge and be like, this is now too detrimental where this person is, is clearly, I don't even know what in his own head is not, does not seem strong enough, but it's, it's, it's not good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to like question anyone's mental uh, toughness, you know, especially players. Like, but um, I think what when like Tom Thibodeau talks about, hey, we have to see how the groups work, how the lineups work together. Um, the clear evidence is that the starting lineup is getting outscored every time um, for the last like 16 games or so, I think. Yep. Um, and you know what, like that's shouldn't that be the primary group that you look at? And obviously the bench makes up for it, but I, I think that's just. I don't think you want to be in a spot every time where, you know, you're, you're trying to catch up once you go to your bench. Like that's dangerous too. Um, if you're starting from negative and you're counting on someone to pick you up, like there will be days where Derek Rose has bad games, right? Like we've seen that as well. Um, 
I, I think it would be interesting if they tried Burks or even quickly as the point guard, you know, quickly, quickly to get more one. spacing. Yeah. Maybe that kind of gets um, some of the passing lanes to open up for Randall too, because they can't, they just can't play him as hard. You know, they, they can't overload him. Like Tom Thibodeau said to like, against the passing lanes, against the jump shot, because you have to respect quickly. You don't respect Alfred Payton, right? Like that's why you see him float down to the baseline so often. He's not just a guy who you can even spot up from third. You know, you can spot quickly up from 28 feet and really space the offense horizontally that way. Yeah. Um, and create some more room that you can't do that with Alfred Payton. Um, so yeah, I'd be curious, like Burks would be good. He had, it seemed like he wasn't getting completely um, thrown off by Trey Young defensively on the pick and roll the few chance, few times he had to guard it. Um, yeah, I, I would try any of those things. I think you just have to be imaginative. And I know like it might be uncomfortable uh, or off your, your yeah. usual rotations, but like this is the playoffs. This is what it's, you the, do. it's the perfect word for it. And for as much as he... <laughs> For as much as he makes his players uncomfortable at times, I think as part of his straight, like, uh, oh God, I think it was you. I think it was your colleague um, who, who covered uh, Tibbs for many years uh, with Minnesota, uh, John Krasinski, who said he like, you have to embrace the discomfort. I, I don't want to misquote mm-hmm. him, but it was something to that effect. And it was a great line, uh, but he doesn't like to get uncomfortable, which is, you know, interesting. Um, or, or, but to your point about who guards who, maybe even hide Burks on whether I guess Hunter, maybe. And then you put uh, pick one of Barrett and, and Bullock to, to go on Trey and then put the other one on bogey and see how that again, I, I guess, but maybe, maybe he hasn't felt like I'm, he's not in a position yet where it's like, oh, I have nothing to lose because he had more confidence coming into get. I don't know. We'll see, but you're right. It's on him. Um, you mentioned Randall. You wrote extensively about Randall uh, the other day. Uh, great point, by the way, about the help guys being, and I did not notice that they're all tall. He keeps bringing the help with tall guys with long arms that make it tough for him to see and survey the defense and the whole thing. Is this just as sim- simple as Julius Randall needs to hit some shots, or do you think it has more? <laughs> no, I mean, do you think it's more? No, I know because I've been thinking about it too. I was like, there's got to be like some schematic thing I'm not missing, but I screwed. I'm just gonna go hit jumpers. Um, I don't know. He shot 44 percent from the mid range this season. He was one of ten in game one, right? Yeah. Like. Even you hit two of those, Knicks win, right? Like that's 109, 107. Um, yeah, I think some of those shots you, you just he's gonna you just have to hit, right? Like I, I know it sounds stupid, and again, I'm probably missing something. Like this is not my forte, but um, do they need him to hit those jumpers? Like that's what he's yeah. been doing all season. That's why they've been good, is because he's been hitting those, you know, spin off the baseline jumpers, those contested twos, those pull up at the elbow like jumpers. That those are all the things that he's been doing. Yeah. that he missed um, in game one. And so you think, okay, we're going to get some regression uh, to what's been the average for, for him and get, I don't know, get some more points from him just just like that, just by him being Julius Randle again. Not even playing like 37 points per game like he did against the Hawks, but just being a better version of himself. Yeah. Um, no, 100%. And let me ask you, I just thought of this as you're talking. Do you think... Because you've been you've been pretty on top of of where he's at with this team and the decisions that they have uh, coming up as far as his contract situation and, and other team building questions. Do do you think he's done enough that uh, or he's done enough this season that this series? I don't say it doesn't matter, but like his his path forward with this organization is already fairly certain. Or do you think like for instance, if he had a terrible series, do you think that might impact? 
I know I'm asking you to basically guess here, but like, do you have any, <laughs> any, any opinion on how that might impact things going forward? Usually Leon Rose is so open and, you know, you just have a conversation with him about this. Um, I'm sure. Are we missing his, hold on. Are we missing Let me check my email. Are we missing a Leon Rose press availability? Have you tried email? to get Leon? Do you, when you text them and you're like, you know hey, what? Leon, um, <laughs> do you want to come on this week? Or like, do we have to keep doing this off the record? Like, how do you do your sourcing with him? We keep we keep sending the the, uh, the email request and uh, I don't Andrew have we gotten a response on that one yet I don't know Andrew shaking his head no okay have you maybe you'll get luck next week uh, work I don't know yeah I, I doubt it um yeah I don't know it, to me like I think he'll be back next year like he deserved that much but well yeah obviously uh, to me like it's I, I you don't want to say I know Knicks fan especially just so hyped about the way that Randall's played this year but like I'd want to see another season of what a shooting looks like. Um, for a game like this, exactly. It's just like, can he continue to shoot 41% from three? Can he continue to shoot, you know, like 75th percentile from the mid range? Like those are all very important things. If he can't hit those shots, he's not going to be the also that he was this year. And it sounds simplistic, but so much to me is predicated off that jumper working um, and, and creating so much for him and the Knicks that like, if he, if it's not repeatable, then it's not worth investing $160 million or whatever the extension is that you would give them in free agency in the summer of 22, right? Yeah. Um, and that's also something he has to weigh if they give him that four-year 106 max extension that they can this summer. Um, is like, hey, do I want to hedge against my own, uh, you, know, you know, drop back to closer to normalcy, right? Like, yeah. I think we, we've DM'd about it. It's like, how many guys have you seen who've made that kind of leap like he has mid-career, year seven, um, into all-star and, um, the guys that have done it, you know, like Victor Oladipo, right? Like that went sideways for him afterward. And what, because he, he was never that summer? good. Yeah. And it's not even that he got hurt. He, the next, the next year before he got hurt, he wasn't even that good the, again. It was the numbers are speak for themselves. They were, yeah. Good. And, and there are some other guys that you mentioned in a few of your newsletters. So to me, I'd want to see it done again. Like there's, you know, um, I don't want to just bet on one year, uh, especially a short year, where maybe the, the sample size of shooting is not enough where you can just say forecast it for the future saying, okay, he is now a 41% three-point shooter, you know, or even a 39% three-point shooter, all those things. Yeah. I wonder also how much is um, in conversation for the off season, but how much, um, you know, getting the, the other, the other, or the other slash the uh, star that we always, we always talk about impacts this because bringing that player aboard can take less of the onus off of him and, and just allow him to be more of what he was in new Orleans, which was just a great yeah. finisher. And like, is there a, is there a, but his finishing's there? not been that great this year, but that's exactly that's it's actually, and he hasn't his, been getting to the rim as much. His finishing this year. I think I haven't checked the numbers recently, but um, I think they're as bad at the, he's as bad at the rim now as he was last season. Um, yeah. Which is crazy because everybody all everybody could talk about last season was the spacing was fucked, and yet this season theoretically the spacing is better and his finishing is. I checked. You know what I checked today? His transition numbers because I saw he when I I was rewatching and I saw he got the offensive foul on Collins in game one. I'm like, it feels like he's usually converts those transition opportunities. And I looked, he's in the 18th percentile for for trans. It's I'm yeah. like, that's man. why I say everything's predicated on the shooting. Like if you yeah. can't continue to be a great shooter. Yeah. Um, you know, then he's, then he's a much more flawed player. And like, sometimes it's just that simple. Sometimes you just, he said it after it too. I got my shots. They didn't go in. Like you got to hit them. 
Um, let's hope he, uh, for my sake at least, because I, I do still root for this team, uh, that he makes this conversation look very silly over the days to come. Um, a couple more things, and I'll, I'll let you get out of here. Uh, you mentioned Tyus Ty's Gibson. Um, I want. I don't even want to ask you a question. I, I want to be like, uh, so, you know, Rebecca Harlow after. Talk about Taj Gibson. Could you talk about Taj Gibson? Like, how, but seriously, how great? Like, everybody made fun of like him and Rose coming because it's Tibbs guys and the whole thing. Yeah. Like, where would the Knicks, I, I feel like I'd say this about a number of guys, but seriously, where would the Knicks be without Taj Gibson? He's one of their better players. It's crazy. I mean, he saved their ass a bunch this year. Like, this is the guy yeah, they signed off the street. He's their backup. He played, you know, more minutes than Noel did um, in game one. He was one. better than Noel. Yeah. And, like, he's just, I mean, whether it was the kick out to the corner off the pick and roll with Rose to set up that Burke shot, um, I think that gave him the lead there. Um, whether it was... Somehow, like being the one guy who stopped that pick and roll by both, like making you it hard on Trey Young, yeah, you and stealing it, was a it great from, clip, and from stealing it on the on the lob to Capello with five five fifty three to go in the fourth quarter, like that yeah. guy just perfectly executed it. Um, yeah, he's he's played so well. He's been like just right positioning, right plays. Like he has been spe- spectacular. You see some of the limitations on it where he's not an athletic freak like Noel or Robinson. Um, you know, like uh, especially in that Trey game winner, but like. He'll give you really good minutes, and that's what you need in the in the playoffs. Um, I was thinking coming back next year. Do we get more Taj Gibson next year? Do I have to cover him next year? I, gosh, I he's a guy that if if you if you could be like, there's one player on this current roster that could be with the organization for the rest of their lives. <laughs> uh, I guess well, I, RJ probably wants in on that conversation, but Taj would be. I want Taj as a coach. I want Taj as a future GM <laughs> of the Knicks. I just he'll be a coach, like. I mean, if he wants to, yeah, he seems like he would. I think he just enjoys being in New York. Like, yeah. you know, he was so, it was so awesome to see him being out there in his community in Brooklyn yeah. during the pandemic, helping people. Um, he seems like a good dude to be around at all times. Like, he knows Tibbs. He speaks Tibbs. Uh, he plays, <laughs> he like, he tips. gives good minutes. Like, <laughs> I don't know what else you want from a backup center. Uh, it's an unsexy role, but, like, I think Gibson really is just kind of one of the unsung heroes this year. I have um, a question for you before we go on, and this please. is something I've been thinking about. What do you think of RJ Barrett game one? Um, it is I I if he made another couple of threes in the second half, I would have said it's exactly the game that I expected. Because um, I don't know, I feel like I have a reputation as an RJ Barrett critic, but like I've been saying it for a few weeks now. He's been bad inside the arc since for really the last month. Um I haven't like I haven't minded the, the the shots that he's taken that much, but at the same time, there's like a couple of looks every game where it's like, come on, man, you he and he was weird because he went through a month where he stopped taking those, and then he had a drive where he like faded away on bo- bogey and you know, and I was like, you know, it went like front rim or side rim or something. He's just this is he. I think he's had the type of game that he's kind of been having over the last month and change, except minus an extra three or two. Um, the one thing I, that surprised me was I feel like he didn't try to like or didn't get as much to the offense as he usually does. And I get part of that maybe because um, Rose was out there more. And so, you, you know, he does a lot of creation and Burks was just feeling it. But like, I feel like he wasn't running as many pick and rolls and it just he wasn't trying to do as many things. Maybe I'm wrong. Think, just, do you think they're a better team when he does that the way he's been? I, again, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want people to come at me and be like, why are you always shitting on RJ Barrett? Because I'm not. Yeah, he's come at him. Come at Macri, not me. 
Come at Vork. Vork, you know, you get no heat. I, I you know, I feel like I know uh, intentionally, you know. intentionally. I stay out of all the fires. Look, I'm just going, by, not for you, for everybody listening, I'm just going by the numbers. Go look at what he shot, RJ Barrett has shot over the last month. It's not, it's not me creating things out of thin, thin air. He's been struggling from the field. And so that's why to me, when you, when you say like he didn't get as much of a share of the offense, to me, that's like, okay, Tibbs is going with what he knows, which is he knows he could get Burks and Rose going anytime against this Hawks team. And then there's Randall. You know, and then after that, probably quickly. And then after that, I think Barrett's the next best option. So well, the reason I ask the yeah. reason I was gonna say is because like, you know, throughout the game when you got one of the Hawks wings on him, I don't think that's like a necessarily a possession where he can attack, right? He doesn't have the physical advantage other than the strength and when the defense is more um, you know, concave uh, not concave, geez, I'm gonna mess it up. Someone can help me and tell me what the right geometric term is. I have dad brain. Um, I don't know when the defense is <laughs> is caved in like that, that doesn't play to his strengths. Um, but like in the fourth quarter, the last four minutes, I think maybe all but one possession, Trey Young was being hidden on him. Um, like what and I'll, I'll probably write a bit a little write a little bit of that for Wednesday, but like, don't you gotta attack? Like, see if you could put on Trey Young, see if I, you can get him tired and in foul trouble. I wonder if that was a function of just Burks having it going. I don't know. Could be. That's one, and that's a good. That's a good reason but too. That, like, but that you know, to your Tibbs point, and to, to this is not others have made, for anybody listening. I know other others have made this point to me on Twitter, but like that's. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's coaching adjustments, right? It's like, oh, wait a minute. They're trying to hide this guy. And they and look, it was a gambit that paid off because, um, you know, RJ was able to uh, bring Trey into the post successfully, I think, for a basket on one possession. On another possession, he drew a double and kicked it out. And I think Bullock missed a three. Um, yeah, that that's different. That they should go that they should exploit. I completely agree. But is that Tibbs? Is that art? Like, I don't know. Um, and some of this just full of the game too, right? Like you see the shots that are open. There's only so much within him, within anyone's control um, once you start a possession, right? Yeah, no, very true. He's going to be, look, I, I love RJ. He's going to be fine. It's just, he's, he's 20, as, as many have noted. Really quick, I was I had a thought today. Um, I don't know what agent he's on, what number or who it is. <laughs> Somewhere, you know, whose agent is smiling because Mitchell Robinson, man, I, I think if he's in this series and he's healthy, I think he makes a massive difference in their pick and roll coverage. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think agent five. I, five. I I thought it was at least six, but I'll might be six. Yeah. Did I miss someone while I was out on parental leave? Did something <laughs> else happen? Um, 
yeah he's got to be happy he's got he's got to be happy like uh, i don't know if he's but yeah like i i do think um he could be a guy who could kind of defend with his length and athleticism defend kind of that middle ground that purgatory that they're putting the Knicks bigs in uh in the pick and roll and be able to help on the perimeter and all those things that's you know narrow noel nerland's noel provides like some of that but not all that he's not as spry he's not as like jumpy quick twitchy as as mitchell robinson and also like there's no lob threat anymore offensively that takes weird you know again we've been a little critical on on top timido here um he had their offense uh, as you pointed out um number one in the nba for like over a month and they lost a major component of it so you know kudos kudos to him for that um okay uh, last one, uh, I referenced it. Uh, I'm not sure if we were recording yet or not, but I'll, I'll say it again. So you wrote a piece um, on uh, Tuesday um, in which you kind of did a little bit of a big picture overview of where the franchise is at. Um, and you touched on how there has been one common denominator for the last 20 years. Um, and it is James Dolan and it has led to a lot of losing. Um, but that right now, um, you know, Things are looking good for the uh, the lead singer of of JD and the Straight Shots. He seems to be. Have you attended one of his shows yet? By the way, Fork, or is, is, is that I on your bucket not. list? You have not. I, you know, I've been talking. I've been telling my wife lately. I really want to get back and like go to a concert. Like I miss concerts. Um, do it. Do it. Not that one. <laughs> and here I thought you had some journalistic integrity that you would go to all lengths to to do the hard reporting and now I just lost a lot of respect for you. Um anyway, uh so it, it, things are good for for JD uh right now because he seems to be uh, staying out of uh, the Knicks affairs. Um and you had this great line at the end of the piece about how uh he was there for for game one, but he was not in his customary seats because now those seats or that area, I guess, is are filled by Leon Rose, uh, Worldwide Wise, and Scott Perry. Um, I know you've thought about this a lot. Do you, let me ask you this. I'll ask it in this way. What do you think is more important right now to the Knicks going forward? Rose's relationship, and I guess by extension, Wes's relationship with Dolan or Rose's relationship and this whole kind of like family dynamic he's built and uh, with everybody below him, you know, with the Tibbses and the Randalls and the even the Quickleys of the world. What, what do you what do you think is going to be more, you know, instrumental in like whether the Knicks can continue to be successful moving forward? Mm. I, I think it's uh, working up. I, I think it's the relationship he has with James Dolan and trying to figure out how much time he'll get, how much patience he'll get. Um, you know, I don't know if it's almost like a, <laughs> like a winner's curse that he has in terms of having this as year one, right. And having expectations lifted immediately. And what happens if there's a drop back? What happens if next year doesn't go, goes well, right? Like we don't, we don't know when next season's going to be, um, who they'll have. And like, what if they underperform expectations instead of vastly outplaying them? My question with, with whoever, and this is before they hired Leon Rose. And even then and afterward was like, how much time and patience will they get? From Dolan, right? He has not given that to anyone in the well, past. He gave it to Phil. He gave, he gave him three years, but then he fired him six days after the draft. <laughs> yes. That like was Phil a, was trying Phil was trying timing. to do like he was trying to do his ultimate, like, okay, we're gonna turn this franchise around move by trying to trade Carmelo Anthony, um, maybe trade Kristaps Porzingis. And you know, so it's it's either one of two things, right? Like James Dolan was saying, look. 
you make all the basketball moves. I'm staying out of it. Then if he doesn't like what the basketball moves he's trying to do, then he hovers back in to fire him. Like you can't have it both ways. I do you think Dolan may have had an influence on Phil not trading Kristaps during that? I, I think it was what was it around like the draft where the rumors they could get like Booker or like Tatum or you know or the Tatum pick. I he guess he was trying to get one of those guys. I don't think that those deals were out there for him. If I remember right, but like. I don't um, know. I, I've never. I've. I. If I've. If there has been any definitive reporting on that, I. I don't. Yeah. Know. I think. I think it seems like maybe Dolan's bigger gripe was maybe around the way like trying to trade away Carmelo Anthony, right? Because him and Carmelo had a pretty good relationship. Um, if I remember the reporting at that time, and like, um, but but that's what I mean by patience. You know, it's three years. That's what we're counting as patience now. It's three whole seasons, right? <laughs> Is that, a, that is that that's a, not even like one draft, one rookie contract? No, I, I know, but is that a, is that a James? Do- yes, it's a James Dolan thing, but that's also I think to an ex- a certain extent the way kind of sports are like even in the NFL where you you need five years. Like we see coaches and GMs get fired after three. It doesn't mean it's the right move. I let me be clear, but it's I don't. You're, that's a fair point, I guess, is what I'm saying. I just I don't think it's exclusive to Dolan. Um. Yeah. Maybe it's not. Maybe, but you know, like. The Knicks have tried so they have tried twice now to do this whole we're gonna we're gonna strip all the way down and yeah. we're gonna build back up ostensibly with buy-in from James Dolan, right? He's the owner. They they tell you know, any any franchise you tell your owner, you're like, listen, this is our plan for this year, the next three years. Are you good with it? Right. Um, and then, you know, three years Phil Jackson, fired. Uh two and a half years of Steve Mills, fired, right? Mm-hmm. Like Glenn Grunwald. Literally fired after the best season that they had still in two decades. That's um, the one. That's yeah, what I want to read. I want to read the oral history behind well, that. Well, I did. It wasn't. But if you remember, I wrote that McKinsey story. That was yes, born of that. that. It was born of the McKinsey telling him that they had to, like, make the franchise more player friendly, futuristic and all that. Um, so it, it's just there's so many things that go into it and the decisions that he makes that. I think it's what time, how much time Leon Rose and William Wesley get from him. And they come in with great relationships um, with James Dolan. Like William Wesley, I've heard, had an even better relationship with with Dolan and Rose did. Um, oh, wow. And so so now, you know, how much time will they get? Will they have time to execute whatever their full plan is? It's probably not going to go like they want it to. Like, even if you succeed, you're going to have to pivot at some point, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, it, there's the, always the a moment. There's always yeah, the a heat, moment. The Heat sucked for several years before they signed LeBron James. Like it's never linear, or it's very, very rarely linear. Um, so will he give them time to see through that? I think when you're looking like um, top down, rows on down to the rest of the organization, I think some of that is kind of just, you know, I, I think if they didn't win this year, would the chemistry be the same? I'm not so sure. You know, like if they keep winning, I think the chemistry will probably be good. Um, you know, Tom Thibodeau is a good coach. There's, he's going to have to manage some of that, you know, year three of Tom Thibodeau in Chicago and Minnesota looked different than it did in year one uh, consistently. And I, I think that was a question when they hired him. I think it's, it's still going to be a question what year three looks like or year four, if they get to there. Um, but I think it's having the patience and having, um, the equity with the owner to be able to do whatever it is that they want to do, especially if, you know, next year or the year after that or free agency or the trade market or whatever, it doesn't go as they wanted to. Remember before the Knicks signed, uh, missed out on Durant and Kyrie, like Dolan went on the radio and said, we expect to have a very good free agency period, right? Yes, he's he did. in, he's in the loop. 
they, you know, like any good front office, you talk to the guy who signs your checks and you let him know what you're doing. Um, and you set expectations that way. And so we've seen that he has a quick trigger in the past. So what happens if it doesn't go well? Will that pre-existing relationship that they have buy them time? Um, or will it not? You know, Steve Mills has a great relationship with James Dolan. He's still on the board of directors for MSG Sports. Um, yeah. He still got fired after two and a half years. Find out the answer next time <laughs> on this. God. Sorry, that was a very, you you transitioned that. That was a very somber way of answering uh no, I'm, but I'm I, talking about game two, pop. but this is why I wanted, this is why I wanted to talk about it. Cause I know you're, you're going to give me a, an honest response. And that's look, you're right. It, you, um, evidence matters. And we have a lot of evidence of, uh, of some impatience. So we uh, Knicks fans uh, like myself, hope look at the Rangers, by the way, look at the Rangers. I didn't bring them up for very specific <laughs> reason. Cause again, I'm just kind of hoping that that's a, that's a Ranger thing. Not my problem. Uh, although I guess it is my problem because it is the same owner. Anyway. Um, we got winning game two. Oh, what's, your, what's your analysis? What's going to happen in game two? I think I picked the Knicks to win 116 to 110. I think was my final score prediction. Yeah. Do, do you want to make a okay. prediction? I think it'll come down to the final 30 seconds again. I don't I don't know who's going to win it. Um, okay. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the ball in Trey Young's hands again with the game on the line or Julius Randle's hands and the game on the line. I think they're just two, like they're two very evenly matched teams. Yeah, no, they are. Um, so and it wouldn't be a surprise if they come down to the final minute over and uh, over. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, but Hey, listen, whatever happens, everything's gonna be fine because we won uh, three, uh, no two coin flips, but I guess the second one, how do they do that? I guess. What, what, do you think they did it like a, a computer generation or something? I wonder. I think they can't... literally flip a coin, don't they? Yeah, but how would I'm okay. I'm sure there's an easy way to do a three-way coin flip situation, but like, oh, I, the three-way coin. That's flip. that's exactly yeah. Don't I? I would guess you flip the coin twice, right? First coin flip, loser gets twenty-three, winner gets twenty-two. It's like the playing tournament. Yeah, but but flipping <laughs> coins. But, yeah, but who who gets inside? Like, should it be between twenty-one and twenty-two first, or twenty-two to whatever? That's the way um, that I would flip the coins. You flip one coin, loser gets okay. twenty-three, winner gets twenty-two. And okay. then it's, I you, I, they should make you, they should put you in charge of this uh, next season, I think, or at least uh, let you cover it from, that'd be a fun <laughs> thing to cover, right? Like inside the coin flip room of the, uh, I would do the, it. I would, well, I was, I was hyped. Um, I don't Are they doing the lottery again this year? I was, I was you've lottery, never been like, in the, you've never been in the drawing have, room, right? You have I was in 2019, the RJ draft, 2018, um, the Zion draft. Is that 19, 18? I don't know. One of those I years. thought whatever year that wait, was. wasn't Bondi in there for that one. Were you? Were you? I think he you? was. Yeah, he was there too. That was the holy. Uh, sh- where where uh, who was it? The coach of the Gentry. Gentry cursed, right? It's yeah, yeah. he just started cursing, screaming. It was great. The most awkward thing is when. So they do the lottery drawing, right? Yeah. And everyone's just nervous as all hell, understandably, right? Because literally, this could be the reason you get fired or not next year. Although for Alvin Gentry, he was still fired the next year, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but like everyone's extremely nervous and you do the lottery. And then, you know, after that, someone's really happy. Someone's not happy. Someone drops to like eighth when they should have been third and they're just pissed and steaming. Um, but then you have to relive it because they're keeping you in there until ESPN broadcasts the results of the lottery. So you watch them watch the lottery play out all over again. So like, I think Alan Houston was in there for the Knicks. He's just like, 
withdrawn. He already knows how this goes. He's like unhappy. Guys are like not watching. Like some guys are just watching all over again. They're laughing at what like the broadcasters are saying. So like almost watching them watch the the lottery drawing is more interesting sometimes than the, the thing itself. That's hysterical. I remember I I left that uh, we were at the the bar that night and I left being like, okay, I'm feeling good. I just wanted to get in the top three. They got in the top three. They're not all right. Do you take do you take uh, R.J. Barrett or John Morant? You do it now. I knew you were going to ask me that fucking question. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm the first to ask you that question. It came. You no, know, we had like a whole ten minute discussion on locker yeah. room on Saturday about this. I think. Um, let me say this. I think for the I think the Knicks are the Knicks are happy with the guy they have. I think it's the right guy for the Knicks. I think his his composition and the whole thing is very good for this franchise for the city. Um, I, I do still think John Moran has a higher ceiling as a player. Um, I don't know how you deny that. That said, I now do believe there is a world where RJ Barrett is a top 15 NBA player, maybe for only a year or two. Hmm. But if the, if the playmaking and the finishing could keep coming around the shooting and the defense, I think there is a, there is a path for him to get to Jimmy Butler. Dumb. Jimmy Butler. Dumb. Butler. Dumb. Butler dumb. That's a new word. Um, that I've just invented. You know, it's, it, I, you know, I'm kind of reassessing too. So I did the story on the, the Knicks shooting threes all of a sudden. It was just and, great. Yeah. Thank you. And one of the things that was interesting was, um, you know, talk to Drew Hanlon for it. And because I wanted to know, like, how did RJ fix a shot? And he's just like, yeah, you know, I told him, like, if you shoot 33 this season, 33% from three, like, that's a good step forward. If you hit 35, like, basically, like, you know, that's amazing. Like, we did it. We, we did everything we went to. And they hit 40%. And, like, even the guys. By who, one three. By one, one three, by one three, by one, by one three, three. and when I talked to him, he was at like thirty nine nine, and Drew Hanlon was like, he's one made three away from forty percent, <laughs> and he got over it. But like that just tells you, like sometimes it's just hard to figure out what expectations are, even if you're like working directly with the guy, right? Like yeah. he told me, he's like, you hit thirty five percent, you know, like that's a great year, like you just, you know, you made this huge leap, and there he went and he hit forty percent, and so like trying to figure out how all of these guys will improve is really hard. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't matter if you're the player or the coach yourself. Like, and so I could see it. I could see being like a, a top 20 guy, something like that. I still have some questions. I think the athleticism is a, is a, is a thing that I don't know, like everyone compares them to Jimmy Butler, but like, if you go back and I did, you, you go back at Jimmy Butler's athletic testing numbers when he was uh, coming into the draft. That's very, they're true. pretty good. They're yeah. pretty good. Um, but if you can get his defense there and if you can get the three-point shooting stays at like 39%, something like that, and he's able to do it off the dribble a little bit, why not? Like, I can see that happening for sure. And, and it, yeah, it's a, a good conversation for another pod, but like small guards that have been, again, this is a high standard, but like been the best player on a championship team. It's still it's still the one, still Steph Curry, unless yeah. you go back to Isaiah Thomas. And um, I don't I don't think anybody's and this was my ultimate point when I talked about this the other day. I don't think anyone's banking on John Morant becoming, um, you know, the greatest shooter of all time. Although he can, yeah, he's not a good three point shooter either. He said, well, he's a terrible. Three. I mean, I know yeah. he hit whatever he hit in the play in game. But like, sure, if, if me and you had 12 <laughs> feet of space and. But he's a, he's a, he play he takes different threes like a lot of RJs are off the catch now. Um, yeah. This season, I think that helps him um, for sure. Absolutely. Off the dribble yeah. and like, but yeah, I, I think um, I think it's interesting, and I think it got a lot more interesting this year than it, than it was after this rookie year. Yeah, it'll be fun to track. All right, um, 
you know, the last thing I'm going to ask you, could you tell the folks at home where they could find you and uh, the uh, the hat that you're wearing right now for anybody who's, who's uh, watching on YouTube? <laughs> I lost my Chelsea hat. I don't know where my Chelsea hat is, so it's, I forgot it's the only uh, hat I have left. I forgot you're um, a Chelsea fan. Yeah, it, you can find me on the tweets. I don't ever recommend anyone to go on Twitter, so totally disregard that. Uh, I write for The Athletic. You can subscribe to The Athletic. Get all of our Knicks coverage. Get all of our NBA coverage. Get all of our Chelsea and EPL coverage. We cover a lot of teams. Um, subscribe to The Athletic despite me. That's what I say. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that's all I got. I'm going to catch it from... Uh... Actually, wait a minute. Was he on... No, I don't think he was on. I was, I, I'm going to catch it from some segments of Knicks Twitter. But you know what I've been enjoy- enjoying a lot? Even though he needles the Knicks and it gets under my effing skin and you've done pieces with him i enjoy hollinger's weekly uh pieces he's really smart he's uh, he he's is really, really smart it, and it, i know it, he takes uh, a lot of cheap shots at the knicks it hurts they, uh, I, if you talk to hollinger <laughs> be like there is a crazy nick podcaster out there who just wants you to know you hurt him when you when you talk about them. that's all but they're good he's good i'll tell him i'll tell i think i got someone to subscribe on reddit by uh he said i'll subscribe if you tell trey kirby to stop making fun of the Knicks and say the Knicks are back. And I followed up and Trey Kirby's like, the Knicks are back. And so I'll, I'll do it. But uh, he's really smart. Like I learned something every time I read him because he's kind of got an understanding of both the cap and the rules and nuances yeah. of the game and the way it's played um, that I think is really, really interesting. Uh, yes. And I'm not just saying that because he's, he's a teammate of mine. Like we just no. have a lot of really fucking smart people that I read. And I'm like, oh, damn, I'm really out of place. Um, I was... Perfect segue. I was about to say, you're not so bad yourself, Vork. Um, you know, if you're listening to this, I say this every time you're on. If you're listening to this and you're not reading Mike Vork enough on The Athletic, what are you doing <laughs> with yourself? You need to change that. You could get some kind of a stupid deal because you guys always run stupid deals. I don't yeah, know. we always, I think we still have, I don't know if we'll have it by the time this runs, but we had like a dollar. Oh, the time is running. Month thing. <laughs> time is running. I don't know. <laughs> Time's running out. Literally, I don't know if we'll have a $5 foot long deal or something going on, but. There you go. Yeah, sign up. It's re- it's a lot of really good stuff there, I think. It is. Um, okay. And on that note, um, everybody out there, thank you for uh, listening to another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We'll be back with you with another episode, hopefully after uh, the Knicks win a game, and we will talk to you then.